Hello, dear Gomology listener, and welcome to my first ever bonus episode. Now, the thought behind this episode was that my blog at Wildress Dad has its 10-year anniversary, so I thought I'd ask followers and uh, readers whether they had any questions they'd like me to answer. And there were plenty of questions, and answers have been recorded in the podcast that follows. I hope you enjoy it, and uh, please do let me know. Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Garmology with me, Emma. No, it is not Nick having regendered himself. It is I, his sister, who is to hosting today's episode. Let's get started with this podcast about clothes and stuff. But today, it is you, Nick, that sits in the other chair. Uh, how does this feel? Any worries for today? It's uh, it's a quite a strange feeling. Um, I am sensing a definite loss of control. Um, I have cast my eyes over the questions that have come in from uh, my followers of the blog and Instagram and the podcast. Some interesting stuff, some searching stuff. Um, I'm going to try to be open and answer. We just have to see how it goes. Yeah. You're putting a lot of trust in me today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see if that might be a bit misplaced. Yeah. We'll be reading out your questions in a variant of a post bag edition today. Uh, to cover our bases, I've sorted the questions under larger themes. So if you're out there and you find sustainability as a topic a bit boring, you can just skip forward to the part where Nick reveals his large collection of Louis Vuitton luggage. Or if you find it tedious to hear about Nick talk about how he chooses shoes, well, you can just drop after, out after five minutes or so. Now, this is a jokes aside. Let's get started. The first topic we're talking about is about the sort of blog storyline, the actual brand of well-dressed dad. And the question that comes from Gunnar is, how did you get started? What triggered your interest in becoming a well-dressed dad? This might be the point to sort of reiterate also that this podcast edition is to um, celebrate of sort that it is 10 years ago that I started the Weldress Dad blog. Um, now, why did I start the blog? I think that is um, multiple reasons, really. One of them is that I have this inbuilt need to share stuff. I've had this since I was a little boy. Whenever I discovered something cool, I'd make sure all my friends heard about it. Uh, whenever I had a new interest, I'd hold a little course for my friends, so they would also become interested in it. Apparently, I have been told this was to uh, their parents' despair, because I was quite um, flitty in my interests. Yeah. I'd hop from one thing to the other, whether it be model aircraft, model trains, um, explosives, <coughs> or uh, I did Dublin sports for a bit, but... Uh, yeah. So it gets intense quickly for an intense phase. And mostly flames out just as quickly. Yeah. But um, I came to a point in life in 2013. Um, I don't know whether to go into um, things leading up to that, but I was uh, in a phase two of life. I actually gave quite a long explanation of this on uh, Norwegian breakfast television a couple of years ago. Yes, there was a sort of midlife crisis of sorts, although crisis sounds always so serious, but maybe it was a mid 
life rejuvenation. I think I uh, put it forth as a midlife awakening. Yeah. Uh, where you come out of a bad relationship uh, and start finding yourself again, uh, giving it a second go, um, doing things differently. Maybe, I mean, I came to a phase where I actually started liking myself better. But it was a new relationship, new job, new place I was living. Um, I did start getting interested in clothes because a new relationship sort of brings out that side of things, doing, redoing things. And of course, once I started uh, getting into the stories behind clothes, I got into the my sharing mode. Mm. So one Sunday morning, I was sitting there thinking, I need to start a blog about this. People need to hear about this, this yes, clothes stuff. Because if there's one thing the internet isn't full of, it's uh, men talking about clothes. Uh, Are you saying that semi-ironically? But at this point in 2013, when this is launched, is is it... Uh, we might touch on that later on other questions, but is it at that point a thing on the it's internet? It's kind of at the tail end of things, but not really for middle-aged guys writing about it. Okay. There have been a lot of trendy young things, as you can sort of call them, seeing from this angle, yeah. who have been writing more sort of hypey blogs about stuff. But that was all kind of dying down a bit, even at 2013. But I was sitting there at the kitchen table one morning. I thought, what would be a good name for this? And uh, I was throwing various ideas around and I sort of thought, well, dressed dad, that has a nice punchy ring to it. I hesitate to say that I think of myself as a well-dressed dad. I think there's a question on that later. But I thought it was a good name for a blog. It's an aspirational name, maybe. It was reaching out to other dads. Okay, um. <laughs> so we can aspire together, maybe, to be this thing. But I haven't, I haven't looked back at the first post for probably 9.9 .9 years now, but it was probably as absolutely cringeworthy as all these first blog posts usually are. Uh, but it got me started, and I um, pretty much kept it up for 10 years. Uh, there's some 600 posts, I think. My goodness, 600, uh, that's a at lot. At my most intense, I was posting probably two or three times a week. There's even some that are quite readable, and it's quite fun because a lot of them, or well, some of them, have become sort of almost small communities in themselves. Mm. Um You've got the Hector Powell community, where I wrote about my grandfather's old suit, which was made for him in the uh, early post-war days of 1945 by Hector Powell. I wrote a blog post about it, and it's become a sort of focal point for people who used to work at Hector Powell. So if you read the oh. comment fields, there's all these people who used to work there who are sort of finding each other again and reminiscing about the glory days of Hector Powell, which is a lovely. <laughs> a lovely little side effect of... Yeah. Um, something that was just a, another blog post for me. So some, some of my posts are actually um, quite influential. And Don't, have you looked on Reddit to see if there are actual communities around it? I don't think there are. Uh, no. No. Um, but I think Doc Martens might hate, hate me a bit. Uh, I know the Ventile people aren't too pleased with me because I have been pretty honest about what I write about them. Yeah. <laughs> but um, 
what triggered my interest in becoming a well-dressed dad? No, I think that was just my little bit of self-evolution, uh, liking myself a bit better, wanting to be a bit smarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd been at that point in a relationship for 25 years with four kids. and um, Yeah, maybe style had not been at this top priority for a while. No, no. I uh, wore cargo shorts and uh, Jaguar T-shirts and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. very much a dad. <laughs> so I think that's that. Yeah, and then there was the you know the actual style that when you went away dropped the t-shirts and the cargo uh, shorts. Um, then you went on to choosing a new outfit for yourself. And here James has um, a bit of a direct question here. Um, in short, when did you decide to dress as a grown-up slash cosplay as minor gentry? slash however you wish to present this cosplay as minor gentry you know uh, yeah i might hit a bit close to home i don't know i i was a bit surprised by that question and cosplaying minor gentry because um yeah i guess so there is something of the old um old british country lord but that's kind of tangential to the tweed and uh, waxed cotton brogues corduroy i mean it's the proper stuff it's the old money style as um they sometimes uh call it when they're talking about uh, american styles and ivy styles and this it's but in the, the very anglophile it's the direction. old uh it's the old country country style of britain i guess and that is something which i came across as a young boy when we used to visit England and I remember we had some friends who had a farm they had sheep there and I remember seeing the barber jackets there or the it might not even be barber but waxed cotton jackets and feeling the heft and the texture of them I'm very much a texture person and that stuck with me right through to adult age and I always wanted one of those jackets but here in Norway they weren't generally that common and I had the same thing with tweed. You'd see tweed, herringbone fabrics and stuff in Norway, but it was never that heft. It was never that thickness. Mm. So I remember with my the utter joy I felt when I found my first Harris tweed jacket. I think it was in a thrift shop and it was way too big for me, but it was the right sort. And that gave me mm. the name, which sort of sowed a seed and gave me something to um, to look into. And uh, I don't have that jacket still, but I do have the barber border that I did find in the same thrift shop for 15 quid a few years later, which still had all its owner's original bits and pieces in the pocket. Clearly a man of a very runny nose. Uh, I still the have that one. good old rip. That's, yeah. uh, that's uh, one I'll keep forever because it's uh, such a great jacket. Uh, but the cosplaying minor gentry, um, which is strange yeah. because um, I don't generally sort of associate with the country style in Britain that's the sort of pheasant shooting the horse uh, and hound yeah I don't uh, I don't really get that and that's part of it because I'm not into shooting pheasants or hunting foxes or yeah. that which I find a bit repulsive but I do like I do like the tweeds and the wax cottons and the proper garments that are made using that yeah, 
So the actual, uh, as you say, the textures, the materiality, it's more about feeling right. Uh, and uh, less about maybe the style or the identity of who you become when you put it on. You're just following if <laughs> you're following your fingers <laughs> kind of <laughs> into it. Yeah. Uh, you, so this cosplay aspect of you know presenting as somebody I mean you're obviously not because you're not in the the right country for one you're not in the I mean we don't talk in Norway about a lot about class but we we probably aren't the right class definitely not anything noble there's no noble blood in our line going by the amount of invitations I get for coming to shoot pheasants uh, clearly <laughs> yes uh, very the much. lack of pheasants very yeah. much regular. I did see a pheasant just uh, along the road here last year, though. It was wandering around, minding its own business, and yeah, I felt absolutely pheasant. no compulsion to shoot it. <laughs> uh, but I don't know, cosplay. I mean, I am very much into describing a lot of uh, the outfits, the dressing up, the stylings that we do as cosplaying, because there is some sort of role we'd like to take. And this is less usual for those of us who are a little older. But you can see the kids, the teenagers, that are yeah. totally into it. I mean, they are cosplaying different subcultures every other week, mm. probably inspired by TikTok, something or other. But they're, for them, getting dressed is almost cosplaying all the time. Mm. So why can't we as adults do it as well? Yeah. But I, yeah, and I think, you know, there's always a danger when one goes into this form of playing with one's identity and like exploring identity through clothes that one ends up in some sort of uniform type cosplay scenario. And then you can protect yourself from what other people think about you because as soon as one dresses away from the expectations in your little community, people will uh, sometimes, you know, think you know uh, Norway has a lot of the tall poppy syndrome you're thinking like oh you're trying to you're trying too hard on some you know what are you trying to yeah yeah I thought I'd get into that in a yeah. while um, yeah you're, I, you're I, planning I, this Nick but you have given the reins <laughs> over to somebody else <clears throat> yeah well yeah. I, did, I did have this moment of uh, self-reflection when I was in Oslo quite recently and I was walking up Karl Luhanskot so the main street in Oslo the boulevard of Oslo and I was wearing a, a big tweed coat I was wearing tweed, tweed trousers brogue boots pretty much you know my um, my go-to uh, thing and I was looking at people walking past in their in their outdoor gear and all this and, and then someone suddenly comes towards me and says hey well-dressed dad and I thought oh and then I had this moment, I realised that I am looking entirely different to every other person on this massively crowded I'm street. I'm sticking out. <laughs> I was very much so. <laughs> and it was... Uh, it I'm was, very visible. It yeah. felt very, very strange because I was just sort of wearing what I like to wear. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was, it was strange. But, but there was, you know, nice to be recognised. Well, I had my bonus daughter with me and uh, she definitely cringed totally. Not as bad as when we were in Cheddar this summer when a guy uh, driving past stopped, rolled down his window and said, are you well dressed, Dad? And he had his two teenage kids in the back and, and Hedwig was next to me and we had three teenagers who were just, oh, oh God, this gosh. is awful. <laughs> yeah. 
I think, which is, I think, the sort of, uh, it's the healthy response of any teenager uh, with a parent figure who suddenly gets attention. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, there's something there that is just very natural. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go on to the next question, which also touches on this about your surroundings and reactions, which is from David. Uh, I might mention Nick's United Style. I don't know if that's a brand. You can uh, we'll just... Instagram handle, I think. Okay. And my question is, do the neighbours ever comment when you take your photos in the middle of the street? Now, anybody who follows you on Instagram um, knows that this is a sort of a well-dressed ad trope photo... <laughs> stock photo setting, which is a certain chair or stool placed in the middle of your suburban road. Yeah, I'm still waiting for IKEA to offer me a, a really good um, sponsorship deal uh, for promoting their stool in such a way. But uh, yeah, I do take a lot of uh, photos out in the middle of the road. And um, it has been noted by neighbours and others. I don't I'm not sure anyone has ever said anything directly to me, but I have heard it has been spoken about, especially among mm -hmm. young teenagers who have observed and who have then relayed it to a teenager in the house that saw your stepdad out in the road again taking photos. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't Is know. Is there some sort of underlying message you feel in that? I just ignore it. Uh, I think most people just think it's uh, harmless. A little amusing and a little cool that I actually do this stuff. Yeah. Because none of the other dads do. No, but has uh, anybody ever come out while Mids sort of done it or do you yeah. I'm sure people have noticed me scuttling off behind the hedge <laughs> <laughs> mid photo shoot when I realised someone was coming because it is kind of embarrassing. It is really, really embarrassing if someone sees you taking photos of yourself in the middle of the road. <laughs> but I mean, I would, have, I would have thought that having done this now for 10 years, that you would have some point sort of, uh, you know, worked past the shame and now sort of, you know, as one does see occasional influencers sort of prancing about with their selfie sticks seemingly without no awkwardness. I still find it acutely embarrassing to have my photo taken the best photos in my judgment that are taken of me are the ones I take myself using a remote control on the camera where I'm just looking grumpy and because I can't smile in front of a camera at all um, so it's um, it's not easy not at all yeah okay so that explains why we often get the grumpy pose yeah yeah, well, I think a lot of people like it's the your, grumpy It's your pose. version of Blue Steel. Yeah, it's <laughs> grumpy dad. And I think people sort of can relate to that. Rusty it, nail, we call it. It, yeah. uh, it uh, speaks to their inner shame. So when I look at them with a grumpy, disapproving look, they, they get something out of it, I suppose. And they find it deeply validating that it's okay to be a grumpy dad. Could be. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, here are a few questions from, and then I want to say it. I find I find the pressure uh, to say this name a bit more correctly. I'll try. Brynjolvur. Um, he has the question: What got you started on your journey to being a well-dressed dad? We've touched upon that quite a bit. But how do you keep the blog podcast going on for a decade? 
it seems to be quite a lot of work. And also, sub-question here, Brynjolfur is very curious, how willing are people to come on? Um, well, how do you keep going for a decade? Well, it's really a case of one post at a time, because if I'd realised starting out that it would go on like this, I might not have done it, or I might have. But I'm, I think one of my personal traits is that I rarely give up on things. There was a hint in that, that I was 25 years in a poor relationship. I've also been running a Jaguar forum for 30 years. Is um, that still going? It's still going. Uh so once I start something, I am very reluctant to give up on it. Mm. So 10 years for the blog, the podcast is now 112 episodes, and almost three years. It's just not giving up and just feeling compelled to keep going. It's kind of a sunk cost thing because you've done it for so long <laughs> that you have to keep yeah. going. Yeah, but yet in some way there is a sort of timeline here where the blog came then I guess Instagram came and then the podcast came so there is a sort of evolution here and you're not still writing on the blog are you? I do occasionally write blog posts and I also publish the podcast there but uh, yeah the Instagram really started as a way to promote the blog and then when we had the pandemic and lockdown I found joy in uh, in podcasting talking to people Mm. And people were very willing to talk. And uh, yeah, so that touches on the how willing are how people willing to, are come people to come on? Um, most people are very willing to come on. Um, I have a long list of people who have said yes, and I sort of keep avoiding setting a date, which is super annoying because it takes a lot of time. Mm. Um, mostly now, if someone says yes, I try to record them almost immediately mm. before they change their mind. But, uh, I mean, every time I record someone, we have a wonderful, close moment and a great chat. Uh, everyone comes out of it feeling really well. Uh, many guests have said that it's uh, it's actually like being in therapy. Yeah. And they will ask... For, Finally, for, somebody's for a, listening to me. For a second oh. session, I had one wonderful talk where I mentioned this therapy thing afterwards. And she'd actually laid awake into the night thinking about all the stuff she should have mentioned and then we did yeah. a follow-up the next day which i spliced in ah. <laughs> so uh, yeah um yeah but people are willing to come on um i mean for the most part the guest has everything to gain it is wonderful free promotion i know a lot of people do well afterwards because if you've been talking about what you care about what really what you really enjoy doing for an hour, hour and a half, it's hard not to leave people with a good impression of you. Mm. And they will be interested in what you're about Mm. and look you up. Um, You might say for a follow-up question, what do I get out of it? I do get a good chat. I am still sharing my, uh, my findings, which is what keeps me going. And I hope for every guest to reach a few more listeners because... That is kind of the only metric there is for a podcast. How many listeners do you have? So Yes, for I, you as a producer. But of course, for the listener, they don't know that. I mean, this is the interesting part of listening to a podcast. You don't actually know. Is it just me that's discovered this gem? Or, you know, or, or how many other are there? I mean, yeah. I don't know. So hence, I do ask people to share it with friends, share it on their social media, sort yeah. of help more people Spread the word. find it. 
Yeah. Podcasts are an interesting medium, though, because if someone has listened to every episode I've made, which I know there are people who have, they feel they know me. Mm. They have a very close connection to me. Mm. So they're probably listening to this episode now and thinking, yeah, he is a nice guy. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Let's wait and see, won't we? A little teaser. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll, I'm going to ask you now, Nick, this is behind the scenes, to put down the script. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Uh, so, to continue then, do you now consider yourself to be, you know, a well-dressed dad? You started out with an aspiration to be it. Do you feel now that you are that? How, how happy are you with your own? I don't know if I started out with an aspiration to be a well-dressed dad or if it was just because I liked the clothes. Now, I'm just going to put in a little quote here from Nick Wooster when I spoke to him. He's kind of uh, one of the original Instagram menswear style gods. And when I asked him what kept him going through all the years, what what, what did he get out of it? And he said, I'm into it for the clothes. <laughs> and I thought that was so honest because yeah. it was just that no highfalutin ideas about anything at all just he was in it for the garms and to get them sort of to enjoy the wearing of them probably to enjoy them because yeah. he gets a lot of stuff he has loads of stuff um and for me i mean there was never any conscious idea of people talk about styling um styling an outfit and all this i mean i don't think i ever had any conscious idea about that i mean Oh, that's a nice waistcoat. That's a nice pair of jeans. That's a nice shirt. Okay, let's wear them all together. Um, Norwegians are very careful to not speak of themselves too highly. Um, Scandi uh, lovers will have heard about Jan Tilorven. Tall poppy syndrome, I think, is the English expression for it. Where you shouldn't think too highly of yourself. No. Basically, you're shit. Um, so I wouldn't. I'd be very careful describing myself as a well-dressed dad. I think I have over time accumulated a fair number of excellent garments that work well together and do flatter me. But I wouldn't sort of uh, consider myself that. That would be opening me very much up to um, criticism, which I I hate because I don't take that well at all. I'm utterly full of self-doubt. And and then there's some questions here about sort of your role now after after all these years of doing this sort of what position you know have you got so there's a question here do you participate in menswear forums are you have do you have an online presence outside the well-dressed dad uh, let's take the first one first there because when i started out with this i don't think there was any talk about influencers they kind of came later. When I started blogging, I was compared to what in Norway are called pink bloggers, which was basically young girls blogging about their life and their makeup and stuff. And everyone who found out that I had a blog thought it was absolutely hilarious to call me a pink blogger. And uh, hoo, 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 isn't that mm. a laugh? Subverting gender norms. And that was kind of a bit after that that blogs died off a bit and uh, the social medias, the Instagram and so forth took off and you got the rise of influencers. And people have on occasion talked of me as an influencer, which I find not 
accurate. I mean, Why not? I, I accept that I am influential, but I don't. I don't take on the role as an influencer. I'm not generally approached by brands wanting to pay me money to shill for their goods and that sort of thing. No. Uh, I think I have earned some respect for being serious and ethical and speaking truth about the fashion world, the clothes world. Yeah, there's an aspect of the sort of investigative journalism. So just being an influencer, if if so, I'm an influencer for doing better. Mm. And I, I do take that seriously. Um, there was a question about uh, menswear forums and so yes, forth. Yes, so In- is there online presence? Because presumably, like I mentioned Reddit earlier, the, presumably there are some some communities out there where you could meet like-minded individuals who are, you know, share your passions and interests. And There are quite a few, although the menswear forums have also declined over time where Instagram social media have a lot to um, to answer for. We've gone away from a a more text-based world to people just posting photos, which I find incredibly sad because I don't think a photo is worth a thousand words. I think a thousand words are worth a thousand words and a photo is just something you scroll past. Mm. Uh, people barely read captions. But uh, before I started the blog, I was very into certain menswear forums um, I did keep it going for some years. I did over time discover that it's not a healthy place to be. It's uh, uh, an echo chamber of... It's another one of these places where really it's stealth marketing. Ah. You get a bunch of guys together talking about shoes mm. and you get a bunch of guys together egging each other on to buy shoes. Ah, enabling each other. Enabling. They'll be telling each other about sizing, about sales, about new models, Mm. about, oh, those do look good. Oh, I'm in crippling self-doubt. Should I not not feed my kids, but instead get these new chucker boots? Yes, yes. Yeah. That's where happiness lies. So I made a conscious decision and just stopped, uh, stopped with the forums uh, but Instagram is very much the same sort of place. You have to be very conscious there as well because people people talk about communities and building communities and it's kind of the same thing there. Companies want you to tag them, want, them, want you to show their stuff. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's pretty much everything we do now is marketing, mm. marketing, 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 and it's tragic. Mm. And uh, that follows through to the question that says that you must be now a respected fixture in the clothes industry. This one is sent from an anonymous sender. Uh, Do you get many invitations to events and so forth? What? What are Um, the perks? Am I a respected figure in the industry? I have been told that I am, that I am also influential and that I am well respected. Now, I have to say... I don't hear much about it myself. No. And do I get invited to events and stuff? No, I don't. 
which is weird because I'm very, very contactable. Yeah. Uh, and I'd love to go to Piti Ubu. I'd love to go to some of these places just to talk to people, just to feel the garms, you know, yeah. experience the textures and all this. But uh, oddly, no, I don't, uh, get, don't get invited. What did you say this thing was? Piti? P- Piti Umu. It's oh, in, yeah. in Florence. Piti, oh. Twice Isn't a year. Isn't it Milan? Is it Mar- it's in Frenza? Oh, Florence. In Italy. Yeah, it's where it's, all it's, these very dapper Italians go around. It's, in their it's a weird thing suits. because it is both a yeah. uh, an industry uh, gathering to sell the new stuff for the next seasons, but it's also where all the peacocks come and land and party and uh, take photos of each other, and it's quite the spectacle. Which is, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I'd love to go once just to see it. Yeah. But everybody, uh, note this down. Send them. To Florence and with a, a personal assistant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have one in mind. Now, we're on to the topic sustainability. So, uh, what is your take on sustainability and slow fashion? That is a big question. And I have spent a lot of time talking about both, and I have spoken to a lot of people on the topics. My own topic, or my own take on it, sustainability is such a misused word now. It has become a trope, as you'd say. It is used mainly for marketing. It's a bit of a dog whistle for bringing in new people. And I think we need a better word. But the true meaning behind it, I compare it to an apple tree in your garden which if you take care of it, it will give you apples every year. It sustains production. Mm. When you hear about companies making polyester fleece jackets by recycling plastic bottles, and it comes out that these plastic bottles are not even used plastic bottles, they bought new plastic bottles because that gives a much higher quality product. But they're selling that as sustainable then you Hmm. realise that you can't really trust a lot of what they're saying. And this isn't just scummy, scuzzy little companies trying to con you. It's big ones. Hmm. Um, If they wanted to be sustainable, truly sustainable, they'd say, yep, we're doing that. We're closing up. We're Hmm. done. We, we We can't offer the planet anything positive, truly. And I think... If we did, the truly sustainable way forward, or we might really speak of a better way forward, would be trying to move back to the smaller scale that was, I mean, before the Industrial Revolution, which is kind of unthinkable because Mm. that gave us so many more options. But back in the time where you made enough fabric to clothe clothe the village and you had someone making clothes in the village Mm. as to what was required. And that would be a best case. Now, obviously, it's 2023. That's not going to happen. The clothing industry is a massive, massive industry. It's not all about polluting rivers in India. It's also jobs, a huge amount of jobs. And companies that have investors and stocks and dividends... For them, sustainability is really about sustaining profits. Mm. They want to make sure that their stockholders, shareholders, keep getting their profits. 
and they will do whatever it takes to keep that up. If that means using the word sustainable in their marketing, if it means uh, developing slightly better ways of doing what they're doing, they'll do that. If it means directly lying about what they're doing, well, they'll do that as well. I mean, greenwashing has become a huge matter these past years. So, I mean, I have very, very little faith in it overall. And a lot of it, again, is the sort of fake news, alternative facts, marketing spins that we're so used to in other aspects of society now. When someone tells you that, oh, we have to keep buying fast fashion, otherwise, how will the labourers in Bangladesh have jobs? Mm. Which isn't the consumer's problem. Mm. But it's made that by the companies because it's an easy way to make us feel bad and then go and buy more T-shirts or whatever. So it adds to the larger trend of of, of placing uh, the responsibility on the individual and what? not on the actual systems of regulations and regulatory government or certificates or... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so slow fashion. Now, slow fashion is basically... A good idea, though I have been saying many a time that I wish they'd call it something other than slow fashion, because fashion is really where the problem starts. I mean, fashion as a thing is an industry construct whereby every few months you feel like everything you own is shit and you have to go out and buy more new stuff. Mm. I think I think the idea originated in the American car industry where they realised that people weren't buying a new car every year unless they made the car look a bit different every year. Mm. So then suddenly your year-old car looked crap and old, so you decide a new one. Mm. Um, so by obsoleting everything previous, people have to keep buying more and more. Now, the sort of slow movement, which can be clothes, slow living, and so forth, I, I think is a good idea. Um, making things that you will appreciate more, that will last longer, that are better made. So maybe if you don't like it forever, and I mean, it's like relationships. At some point you feel that you need want something new. Mm. Then maybe someone else can enjoy it, just like your ex-partner. Mm. Which is a weird way of saying this it. This <laughs> took a dark turn here. Yeah. But... Um, I mean, just slowing it down and making better stuff. So I have been trying to find out how makers can make things that people will cherish more, mm. appreciate more. Now, that is really, really hard, and I haven't found a definite answer on it. Yeah. So, but I think if we can find out how to make things that people will keep longer... That will slow things down. Now, I have seen that the slow fashion movement has sort of been appropriated again by sharks, which I think is incredibly sad. Uh, a lot of um, the fast fashion elements are sort of coming into the slow fashion as well. How would we spot that at an early stage? Or is it, how is it you if, see that if, creeping in? If someone is selling you slow fashion jeans with elastane in the fabric, say? yeah. So what that would make them last a lot shorter time. That means that um, whereas a pair of cotton jeans you could put in the ground and compost, if they've got mm. elastane, that elastane will last forever. And it mm. also means that the fabric can't be recycled and it can't. it's very hard to repair because it's stretchy. 
So that's not slow at all. No. And you have, well, the recycled polyester, which is actually recycled new bottles. Mm. Um, There's a lot of these things where it's sort of sneaking in, but just by calling it slow fashion, you're sort of trying to make it feel good. And then people can uh, buy more. Because again, I mean, you're in the clothes business. You want to sell stuff. If you're saying to the person, you buy this shirt, you'll keep it to, uh, to forever. I hope we never see you again. I mean, it's disingenuous. You're not making a living if no one ever buys anything more, which is why you want to make it in a new colour next year, a few more colours. And I mean, you want people to keep buying stuff. Yeah. So we've kind of painted ourselves into a corner there. Yeah, the business model is very hard to, to keep with the same you know circularity of materials and accountability that we require for it to be truly sustainable so you know where it has a life cycle the product the actual material what i do see is that many of the sort of slow fashion companies are moving into um drab colors and less fashionable cuts I did recently on a recording that hasn't been released yet to refer to it as the sort of sad beige <laughs> clothing. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Werner Herzog oh, yes. uh, slow fashion. Um, and yeah, I mean, that is a way to make things less obsoleting. Yeah. Sad beige clothes for sad beige people, which is probably most people. And I do, but I do wonder yeah. whether that makes it all a bit sad beige and a bit sort of as well because i mean part of the joy in clothes is having something that is really nice and yeah. if it's yet another beige chalk coat yeah maybe that isn't too exciting yeah but this touches on um this question that i actually sent in myself uh which is do you find yourself struggling to source specific garments that are sustainable like basic staples and do you find your style changing as a result of this? And the second question there we could put aside for a little while, and then I'm going to ask you to put down your script once again. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out that the script in this case is just a list of questions. It's not, yeah. Yeah. not planned beforehand. Yeah. I haven't cl- made clever little notes. Yeah. Um, because I think that you, what you're saying about the sad beige style is something about the staples that we all need that are very boring. You know, we need our underpants, our socks, our basic T-shirts. At least that's how I think of it when it comes to clothes. There's some things that, you know, you mentioned jeans, some sort of things that we call sort of basic staples of clothing. I think um, as long as you stay clear of synthetics as much as you can, and have natural fibres, then you're starting out well. I do have a problem with socks, because unless socks have some synthetic fibres in them, I find they wear out way quick. Yeah. And I think it's better to have a bit of synthetics and think, okay, there's a bit of microplastics shedding here and they won't be uh, too clever to recycle. But if I can make them last... 10 weeks instead of three days maybe there's a gain there um i have wool socks that are 100 percent wool which need darning all the time which is fine if you like darning and have plenty of time 
you have to like darning because it takes a while it, it does um but otherwise i mean staples i don't i don't feel i do too many staples yeah, that's really. what i was wondering about that so that's my second question was do you find your style changing as a result of, do you, because i can imagine if you know have problems sourcing it at some point well maybe just questions would why why am i wearing socks yeah, you know why don't i why don't i wear just felt shoes or you know but I don't know. staples are kind of yes i need 15 white t-shirts or i but i don't i i'd rather wear a nice shirt than all these t-shirts or i don't really it's part of this sort of capsule wardrobe thing is as well whereby mm. really you're blandifying your wardrobe to be able to have so few items which is super virtuous i'm sure and you can talk about it to all your friends who will be super impressed that you've got a capsule wardrobe of only 15 items that you can mix and match and it's all organically sourced staples and whatever it's kind of sucking the joy out of it all <laughs> except for the people who really do enjoy building their capsule wardrobe or as i might add living in a very big city where the space is at a premium and you only have a tiny closet, you know. I, yeah. Well, I mean, you could still have nice things, distinct things, instead yeah. of just bland things. I think people have this philosophy that they that investing in an object it has to be something that they and and I hear this word classic used a lot. And 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 speaking of fashion, I wonder, you know, if if that even exists sometimes because i think what they what they thought in 1985 was a classic blazer certainly is not what they would have said in 2000 was a classic blazer you know i mean the cuts of clothes it's i mean yeah and, and, it, well, and then it, people try to hunt for this classic and that's going to be what they invest in but i don't think often looking back at our clothes and the ones we've enjoyed the longest that they necessarily are the bland items that we've loved the most i don't know uh well the sort of power blazer of the 80s will be a, a fashion item because that was its moment in time and of course tiktok will bring it back for the teenagers every 17 weeks or so <laughs> over the next years but uh, no i don't think that was a classic but there are classics i mean like a white t-shirt was a classic it's classic um, until somebody spills coffee on it or... or a pair of jeans is classic uh if it's the right style of jeans but it's it, it it i think classic really illustrates more that there isn't anything much genuinely new happening it's basically just recycling the old ideas again and again and again and tweaking them a little bit making it a new version of them i keep seeing clothes designers talk about oh we're going hunting for vintage to get ideas which is basically just recycling the past again mm -hmm. And you see fashion shows now and it's like wild ideas and it's being applauded and, but it's not wearable stuff and it's stuff that will after the fashion show will just be packed away this is a man 55 living in norwegian suburbia talking fashion means absolutely <laughs> nothing at all to me um but uh no i don't really see anything happening there i've completely forgotten what the question was now so well, well, back to the style changing as a result of sort of maybe not being able to get these staples or maybe questioning whether you need them at all. I have been very conscious about not buying synthetics and that 
does have an impact because it means you're not buying the technical gear. Yeah, exercise clothes. Exercise clothes is tricky because they're all sort of technical functionality and that is reliant on both chemicals and synthetic fabrics. I admit I do have some which I use when I run, but I don't have a lot and I am very sceptical to it. Um, Wear them with shame. I don't have stretchy underpants uh, and I don't buy technical jackets like that. I mean, I will buy a waxed cotton jacket over a Gore-Tex any day. So, yeah, I mean, keeping sustainable ideas in mind does impact on what you buy if you are actually being honest about it. And that takes me to the next question is, what do you miss from back when you didn't know better about sustainability? Speaking of these things, are there any items of clothing that you that you miss back to the naive good old days that you actually enjoyed that you now think, oh, I can't in any good conscience buy this or wear this, but I do miss it? That isn't offset by the warm feeling of virtuousness that I feel these days. Um, <laughs> No, I don't actually miss anything. But I would say that I do sometimes miss the carefree days of being much younger, much less into things. I mean, when I was a teenager, I had I had a jacket and I had my jeans and I had my shoes. Incidentally, my white Nike leather basketball shoes were probably my one of my most cherished items as a teenager. And I remember using the sort of white paint on them uh, to sort of keep them fresh and white. But if you were heading out, you wore your jacket, you wore your shoes. It wasn't a case of now, what should I wear today? Sort of putting together an outfit, whether you were planning to uh -huh. take a photo or not. So you're I, missing the simple old days where I didn't have, where I had a capsule wardrobe. I didn't think of it as that, but that actually of, was what it was. Kind of like that. I mean... I find it excruciatingly embarrassing to even bring it up, the fact that you're sort of considering what to wear when going out. And it's become more a factor now because I have a permanent home office, so I'm at home all day. Uh, I might go out on Saturdays. So sort of all my love for garments and textures and tweeds <laughs> sort of comes into fruition and flowers up in a burst of... Yeah. Uh, bracken coloured wool on Saturdays <laughs> uh, dressing for an event, the event of going shopping and popping yeah. down to the library yeah. have a cup of coffee and and a cinnamon bun yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's weird but uh, I mean it does give me joy and I think at the point when it just becomes too much and it does not give me any joy anymore I'll revert to being a stealthy middle aged dad which and not be noticed. So, yeah. About so. Yeah. Okay, so this actually leads us into the next section, which is style. I've, I've titled it Style Questions, where, where David has a, an interesting question, which is, how do you respond to people who don't like how you're dressed? Does this come up? Do people... It doesn't often, but I know that... It probably 
is talked about, but not so I hear it. That could just be my paranoia speaking, but I did have someone make a, a wonderful comment recently. I can't recall exactly what it was, but it was something about I looked like a uh, vintage railroad engineer stuck in prison, pissing against a wall or something like that. And it was so absurd. That it, I mean, okay, so this is this we need to unwrap. There's a lot here. I mean, number one, say, were you caught pissing? I was not pissing. I was not in prison. I have never worked on the railroad. I will accept that I could, might be... But what was the context just, of this comment? I think it was just some guy drinking beer in America who thought that this... Okay, this is online. This is not in your daily life. It was not in my daily life because, life because that would have certainly meant I could have followed it up a little bit closer. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, do people like it or not? I think if people don't like it, they don't follow me. But do you get any comments on the street? Like... I mean, um, Norwegians are very shy and um, socially anxious as a people, um, often read from outsiders as being a bit uh, rejecting and standoffish, but it's more natural shyness. Mm. But so we're not the, the, we're not the, there's not a lot of street heckling going on. Um, but is there, does, has that occurred? You know, somebody at the pub screaming out that you are? No. No, uh, maybe a bit disappointingly so, because... You I mean, would have liked you it. Could have I mean, I, I, mean I, I won't be so stupid as to say I don't enjoy attention, because everyone enjoys a bit of attention. Uh, I mean, I can be smiling all day if someone comes over to me and says, I like your jacket, what is it? Mm. And that has no <laughs> reflection on me personally, it's just that I happen to be wearing this jacket and they thought it looked good. Um, but that has only happened a couple of times, I think. Two or three. Um, but most people you sort of catch people giving you a look but, a side um, eye a bit of curiosity but um most people just go about their day which is fine which is fine i mean that's where social media comes into it that's yeah. why you post your photo your little outfit photo with your cute little outfit on the instagram yeah so that your followers can give you a little like and a comment maybe and say you're looking good today chap <laughs> but you're sort of as you say uh, there's a sort of vulnerability to that you know, because then you, I mean, it's nice when they say nice things. And then you have this uh, American, maybe he's talking yeah. about the pissing, but, but do they, do you get other nasty comments? Like? Very few. Which I think is maybe because I'm not regarded as a threatening person. Uh, I also don't take it too seriously. I mean, my captions are generally either informative or an attempt at humour. Uh, so I'm not going out hard and I'm not sort of making out that I'm some sort of special person. You're not provoking anybody's agenda. Yeah. Also basking in the light of being a cis white male. <laughs> of yeah. being maybe not the object of the most kind of yeah, I'm not, internet. Not a controversial figure, no. Yeah. And I do try to be nice to people. So um, there's a, there's there's an element of privilege here as well coming in. Here. It might also be that I'm a totally laughable person, and that everyone's just silently humouring me and sort of yeah. Because yeah, that's usually how let, the internet works. Let, Nobody let the, people don't just keep all their feelings to themselves. Let in the, the idiot uh, sit on his chair in the middle of the road in all his wool stuff and think he's dead cool, and uh, we'll just ignore him. Okay, so just everybody out there, just keep doing that because it's uh, yeah. Yeah. If that's what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Um, 
Brian has the question, has your personal style changed over the last decade? Have you gone along with some trends and resisted others? What's the unchanging bedrock of your style philosophy? So what has, what have, you know, what uh, items of clothing have you left along the way? I think it's become, it's a, it's a case of distillation, really. Um, I mean, 10 years ago, I was getting into proper jeans and I was getting tweed and waxed cotton. And it's become really a case of <laughs> over the 10 years that the denim has become heavier, the tweed has become bigger. <laughs> Uh, you're bulking out well it's, 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 it's just more of it and I think that's over time you sort of understand what what you really like and don't buy stuff that is crummy because uh, I I mean I bought loads of stuff and I, I keep buying stuff but I also sell a lot of stuff get rid of stuff so over time what I have left is what I really like and the stuff I have got rid of. I mean, I do not donate stuff to Norwegian charity because I think they do a really, really poor job of um, redistributing and using the gifts people give them, i.e. most of it goes off on a trailer to Eastern Europe for fibre recycling. Uh, what's left, they overprice and try to sell in sort of uh, boutique charity shops which is not the way to treat quality used clothing. It's much better to give it or sell it to someone who will use it and keep it in the loop instead of sending it out of the loop, uh, which I realised had nothing to do at all with the actual question, but it speaks a bit to how you buy and what you do with what you have. Uh, so what, what have you sort of, what did you, what did you feel very enthusiastic about, but then now look back and think, oh, don't like that anymore. Fed up. It's kind of the same stuff. It's become more maybe about brands, makers, fabrics, where things are made, how they're made, where I have become probably incredibly fussy over time, uh, incredibly specific that something I would have liked 10 years ago I now deem to be that's not really very good or they made it somewhere it's that's not very good or the fabric looks wrong or uh, I mean I have had an awful lot of stuff over the 10 years that um, wasn't very good uh, a lot of it you buy on 70% discount in the sales because 70% discount is sort of the beer goggles of buying shit where something that is sufficiently discounted, it looks really good. And then you realise afterwards that the reason it was discounted that heavily is that it was pretty shit and no one had bought it before. So, yeah, you see online sellers full of stuff that is, you can't imagine why anyone even made it to start with because it couldn't have possibly seem like a good idea even when they made it. Yeah. So we're back to the sustainability of uh, the whole machinery. Um... What is the unchanging bedrock of your style philosophy? He says. Well, that is a big question. That's, that feels that there's a lot of heaviness to that. Question. You know, I, I have such a problem with with even the word style, and I may, I know I sound like an absolute prick when I say it because people talk about how do you the sort of the, sort of, uh, the job of styling. You hear people yeah. styling these trousers, and I'm thinking when well, you put you both your legs in, and then you 
tighten them. That's that's how you wear them. But styling them, oh, you can style them with a t-shirt or a shirt. Or, but you're talking about like pimping things up, or you know. Well, well it's, it's sort of come back to the word style, and some people will call it the aesthetic, which sounds even more prickish to me. But um, I mean, you have some nice things that work together. I mean, most of my wardrobe can be interchanged. Uh, I used to joke about having a, a sort of a computer program that was a sort of outfit generator because all my outfits were sort of loaded into the outfit database and I could just... And it would like make it... Like Bill in Clueless, yes. Uh, well, I have not seen this film. You have not seen film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I don't think I have, but it would have been years ago. But anyway, my outfit generator would then put together cute little outfits based on its uh, data. And, I mean, if you... That's sort of bordering closely on a capsule wardrobe, I think, but the sort of big version of it. But if you buy things that basically all work together, then the style will just happen because of that. You don't have to buy that jacket, that shirt, that tie, that pair of trousers, and then a pair of loafers in that exact colour because you want to have that style, you want to recreate that aesthetic, that look. But I think what what sort of Ryan maybe is thinking of, like, is there... Is there a story behind what you choose? Sort of, is there, do you have any, for example, style icons, any people where you find yourself inspired when you see their clothes or, you know? Two good questions there. Stories, yes. I mean, most of the things I wear, I could bore you with the story about. Uh, it's not even could. He has. <laughs> well, he has. This, this so, is an inter, you know, this is a family joke, you know, that everything comes with like a little manuscript. Yeah. So, so, which is, which is important, as long as they're genuine stories, not just made up marketing garbage, you might put a pin in that idea. Yeah. Um, but yes, everything will have a story, everything will have a background, there's a, there's a reason for everything, um, which I think is, is nice. And um, yeah, I could bore you with that. What was the second part of the question? Anybody style icons? Style icons? I, not really, no. And I have a, such a problem with many of the people who are continuously mentioned as style icons. Regular listeners will know I have a huge problem with Steve McQueen. Every time someone mentions a white T-shirt, they say, oh, yeah, Steve McQueen, he looked dead good in that. Steve McQueen was a real prick. I think the fact that he's so venerated because he looked good in a white is T-shirt he- is Wrong. A barracuda jacket, isn't it? He so. liked a barracuda jacket. I think he probably wore some jeans. He raced cars. He raced motorbikes. He this and that. I mean, he he has the problem that James Dean, another quoted, mm. I guess, jean and white t-shirt style icon, doesn't have, is that he lived long enough for everybody to discover what a dirtbag he was. While yeah. James Dean died young, we don't really know. Maybe. I don't know. No. Hashtag me to James Dean. I don't know I, if anything's emerged. So probably, but history makes more or less everybody a bit problematic. But at the same time, there's a sort of certain people have a certain charisma, you know, there's something there that, you know. Because that is also a thing that all these people dragged forth as style icons are people who are more than conventionally attractive. So they were actually a charismatic icon of their times. Danny DeVito rarely mentioned as a style icon <laughs> george clooney often yeah yeah There's so the beauty of wanting to look like george clooney unfortunately a genetic lottery brad, brad brad pitt in a dress style icon yeah that's not because he looks good in a dress 
it's because he's Brad Pitt. Yeah. And half the planet want to sleep with him. Yeah. So, uh, style icons, no. But, I mean... Which I, is actually is interesting just now with this whole Sam... I wish... I'm looking for the name. This is unprepared, guys. It's not in the script. Bankman Freed? No, I'm talking about <laughs> Harry Style versus Sam... Oh, what is it? It's not Sam Smith, is it? Oh, yeah, it's probably Sam Smith who's uh, dressing up in dresses and yeah. Harry Styles dresses up in dresses. But... And then one of them gets uh, uh, enormous amounts applauded and style icon status, while the other one just gets a lot of uh, <sighs> harassment, yeah. aggression, yeah, vitriol on the internet because of maybe, you know, conventional attracting them to my yeah. the back of it. Right. I think yeah, so, I think so Harry definitely. Styles is a pretty weedy looking prat, but then again, <laughs> yeah, like the the we will not get into Harry Styles, but we are we have differing opinions on his oh oh yeah, okay attractiveness yeah. yeah. So urban housewives dig Harry Styles, people. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, style icons though. I, I mean, I can I can like uh, films. Uh, I have mentioned it before, but uh, films as a source of inspiration. Guy right? Rich, yeah. Guy Rich's two Sherlock Holmes films, costumes are fantastic. Yeah. And there's a lot of my aesthetic there. Yeah. The corduroy waistcoats, the tweeds, and the mm. oh yeah, I could get into a little bit of pugilistic uh, crime solving. Definitely. Uh, sadly, not much going on around uh, around this part of suburbia. Mm. Not so, a lot of heisting. No. So, yeah. Okay, so films could be a source of, yeah. Okay, so, um, okay, we've got a question here from Lewis saying, what items in your wardrobe do you regularly wear? Anything particular, specific item there? Well, I do have some favourite jeans. I do have some favourite jackets. I think people would appreciate getting actual, (laughs) get into the specific jeans. Specificity is the core of narrative. Well, uh, I can say a little bit about the realities of shopping when living in suburban Norway means that uh, much of what you do is gaze at garments online Mm -hmm. uh, because there isn't really anywhere here in town that has anything I'm interested in. Uh, There's a couple of good shops in Oslo, but I don't really buy much there either. Uh, so I had a couple of opportunities last year to go to Copenhagen for work. And there's a lovely denim shop there called Brunt. And Can you spell that for the audience? B-R-U-N-D. And being able to go there, and they have shelves upon shelves of desirable denim. I'm mm. speaking probably to the choir here. Yeah. In all the different sizes and styles and fits. Ooh. And being able to actually spend the time trying them on, feeling them, touching them, fondling, <laughs> fondling the denim, um, and then buying a pair that you're actually happy with is great compared to ordering online where you're sitting there, measure- measurements and uh, full of hope and probably don't get exactly what you wanted. So I did actually buy a pair each time I was in Copenhagen. Uh, and that was pretty good. Was what bit, did you buy? I bought a pair of Iron Hearts and I bought a pair of, uh, is it Pure Blue Japan? I'm very happy with both. I'm actually wearing the Iron Hearts at this moment. Um, 
I do have some nice uh, tweed coats I've been wearing a lot. I have a Cording's uh, Follyfoot in Donegal tweed. Really love that. I have a uh, Toast tweed coat, double-breasted, from uh, this winter. That has actually been one I have been complimented on more times than any other jacket combined, which is good, and I do like it. Uh, I have a uh, shirt from uh, First Pattern in Italy, which I have worn a lot. And that's been quite a, a revelation, really, because their shirts are expensive. There's no two ways about it. Uh, really, more expensive than I'd like. But Cristiano Berto, friend of the pod, he likes to say that, talk about the value of the product. And this really struck me because I've never quite got what he meant by that. It sounded like something that maybe got a little lost in translation. But I realised it when I noticed that I was actually wearing that shirt more than all other shirts combined. So it might have been twice the price of what I normally think of as a shirt price. But given that I was wearing it almost all the time, it was actually giving me good value. Hence, the value of the product was what I should be thinking of. And that was kind of interesting. I mean, that is a way we sometimes do occasionally touch on, like value of how many times did I wear it compared to the price of it. The one way of thinking about, you know, comparing products, hmm. uh, which unfortunately is very often something one only knows after the fact. It's going back to uh, the thing of finding a partner. You go to the disco and you sort of look at, potentials and then you might strike up a conversation that's a bit like buying clothes where you'll you'll see something you'll feel it try it on not necessarily that order for the okay, others, this is but... getting a... i am your sister i do not want to hear about this uh, mating ritual that no, you have entered into I'm, I'm talking about buying shirts but yeah you you go into the shop and you'll feel it you'll try it on you'll look at it um, I have spoken about this before on the pod as well because uh, it was something that struck me last summer visiting some nice shops in the UK about how much of that experience is lost when shopping online and also mm. how much harder it is to actually buy something in a physical shop where you get all all the factors, all the facts on the table straight away and you're not reliant on some clever marketing person and their description of something, their, the luscious fabric will drape perfectly and blah, blah, blah. But when you're standing there at the rack, you can be yeah, it's not that nice, is it? And then try it on, eh, it doesn't fit too well. And that much, <laughs> but online, you'd be sucked right in. But I mean, the right salesperson in the right shop can, at least to me, suck me into some sort of vortex where I come out of the shop realising that I've spent way more than I thought I would beforehand. Well, for an amateur, I mean, that might be a problem, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are above such things. But uh, I think, really, when we're talking sustainability, slow fashion and so forth, a return to physical shopping would yeah. really cull a lot of the, the impulses. I mean, places like Zalando, when they offer free shipping and free returns and people are just ordering a box full of shit just because they want to try it on at home and then just send it all back. I mean, that's not sustainable. That's really rubbish. Yeah. 
So which items have uh, you purged from your wardrobe? Well, I think I mentioned that I have been selling a lot the past half year. A lot of that has been stuff that I realised that I didn't really like, maybe. Didn't really fit me that well. Um, stuff that I bought on impulse. Uh, that stuff I didn't really see going forward. I mean, what with the pandemic and maturing age, my body isn't the same as it was 10 years ago either. <clears throat> I do recall being informed by an Asian follower that um, you got fat, which <laughs> kind of hit home. Um, Thanks for pointing that yeah, one out. Yeah, that was uh, appreciated. I hadn't noticed. Yeah. But uh, selling off a bunch of stuff that wasn't the best stuff I have meant that I could uh, also replace it and buy some new stuff, which was nice because, I mean, shopping for nice garments is kind of joyous as well. Yeah, as much as your virtuous talk of sustainability, you are a bit of a shopaholic. That is where I meet myself in the door, as we say in Norway, because... Confronted with yourself. If you're going yeah. to be um, a sort of a menswear guy on the Instagram showing uh, your cute little outfits. I'm using the word cute here several times because I know one of my followers really gets annoyed by it, but I think it's such a... It is a classic <laughs> American trope. Right? It is. Uh, it, I think yeah. it's quite a, a joyous little expression. Yeah. Um, it does mean that you can't be showing the same thing every day. And much as I only dress up really once a week, I do like stuff. And I, I look upon it partly as research. Not as shopping, but that might be my own little lie. Um, and the stuff that I don't want any longer does go to good homes. So um, it's just keeping things in circulation. And I do buy very little new stuff. So it's, it's secondhand going back into secondhand circulation. It's, uh, it's just keeping the closed loop. Yeah. Uh, I mean, much of the stuff I like is horrendously priced new. So yeah. But speaking of sort of... Now under the style section and, and style icons, movies, style, you know, this inspirational factor in it. Do you ever find yourself buying things to, so you can become the person that you're not and get confronted with that? Because that, that is a pitfall I have fallen into where I realise I'm buying this for somebody who I'd like to be or like to become. But then, unfortunately, realise that I'm not the, per the I'm not this person, you know. Um, I think I'm going to have to disappoint you and say no there because <laughs> I, I don't really. Um, I think I kind of know myself, and I do stop myself from going. I mean, for me, it can be things like are uh, actually a bit uncomfortable to wear. You know, where they, 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 they have a look to them or there's something there when they put it on and they realize, I don't have the energy to wear this. This is, I can't, I can't be feeling this level of discomfort throughout the day. Or I think that is worse for women, actually. I think menswear in general is more comfort orientated. Yes. We don't have those high heels. We don't have very tight uh, body shaping clothes. Uh, no. Um, so... No, I don't think so. But I, I do find myself buying things that I might not actually wear much, but I buy them because they are so beautiful. Yeah, for fondling. Fondling or for just beholding. I mean, if mm. I was living alone, <laughs> I, I could well um, decorate parts of my house with, uh, with excellent-looking garments. I mean, have a little museum. 
I have thought yeah. about having show and tell evenings where I could uh, uh, actually talk to people who are interested in hearing my little stories about clothes <laughs> and not being bored to tears. So it's not necessarily because I want to actually or see myself wearing it a lot myself. Just the appreciation of the craftsmanship or the story, the, you know. Quite. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have some fantastic things. Um, and it's just it just gives me joy just to see them. And um, yeah. Because that is the question I have from Lewis, is, is are there thing, items that you, that you buy, never wear, but keep anyway? I do have a small section of my uh, rack where I have jackets that I might not fit into right now. I might sometime in the future but I can't imagine selling them because they're just too too lovely. So, yes, I have, uh, say, a Mr. Freedom uh, Mulholland uh, uh, motorcycle-type wax jacket uh, from the first uh, time he made them, where it's made in Japan, and it's made in such a way that it is just so beautiful. And I, I can put it on, but I don't look good if i zip it up but it's it's a beautiful beautiful jacket i thought you just said you didn't have any uncomfortable clothes and then here we are yeah but i can, wear it, later. I can wear it open but it's not i mean it's yeah. not intended to be uncomfortable but uh, no. but, but there's an element of if aspiration you're size, if you're a size large and the jacket's medium then it's going to be <laughs> uncomfortable it's too small it's the only one i've ever seen for sale though so i couldn't uh, not buy it ah Okay, so Tom asks from Hawkmouth Leather Company, asks, tell us about your love of tweed. When did it first enter your landscape and what makes it special to you? So do you remember the first? I, as I mentioned earlier, holidays in the UK must have been, but I think I've sort of always known of it, but it took a while before I found out where I could find it because once I found out that it was Harris Tweed I was after, that sort of opened things up. And since then, I have accumulated a fair amount of Harris Tweed. The absolute, absolute pinnacle of it was when um, the Harris Tweed Authority invited me to the Hebrides to uh, spend a couple of days with them looking at the production and the Harris Tweed industry. And it was wonderful. I mean, I flew to Aberdeen and then on a tiny little plane into um, Stornoway. And we went to the mill where they where they um, spin the yarns. And then uh, to a couple of weavers uh, at their homes and saw them weaving and talked to them. And then back and saw how they treated the finished tweeds. I was, it was brilliant. It was a magic couple of days. Mm -hmm. And uh, I am very much a fan of tweed. I think it's a brilliant fabric. Um, all the wool, uh, the way the tweeds, all the colours, all you can make with them. And I think it's a shame these days when we're throwing away so much wool when we could be making these magic fabrics with it. But we're not. We're still not appreciating the wool fully. I mean, you can make tweeds in any sorts of colours, and they are so long-lasting, so hardy. But we're making all this shit plastic stuff. It's really depressing. And tweeds aren't even that expensive. I've tried to sort of walk back the calculations and see how much my pal in Lewis actually earns 
peddling um, loom mm. into the night. And it can't be that much because if you buy tweed by the meter, it's not that expensive. But really? you get a real premium once it comes on the market because Harris Tweed, Donegal Tweed and others, there's a real cachet around the name. But And there's also, I mean, just sitting here listening to that, I think, you know, as somebody uh, who makes clothes, which is something we do a bit in our family, you more than me. Um, I mean, we don't, I mean, it's not accessible here at all. I mean, I, I mean, finding tweed as a fabric is not available in any kind of clothing fabric shop. It tends to go through many uh, distributors. Let me, yeah, uh, yeah. If I send an email to Becca, who is kind of my contact uh, on the Isle of Harris, I mean, it doesn't cost much to buy direct from her. But once it's gone through a few chains of resellers, and it's suddenly become expensive, which is unnecessary. Yeah. Okay, so well, that's the tweed. Um, and then we have Flood Fluor on Instagram who asks, if you could have any garment made specifically for you, what would you choose? What would it be made of? Why? Well, there's two very, very obvious uh, answers to that. Uh, one would be a Norwegian national costume, the Bunard, where every 17th of May, when everyone's got their Bunards on, I do find myself thinking, yeah, I could uh, could wear a Bunard. It is kind of a one-day-in-the-year garment, though, and they are very expensive, time-consuming to make. They need their care. You should stay yeah. the same size pretty much for the rest of your life. Yeah, but, I mean, we could say for the audience they cost about... Uh, what three thousand pounds or so, such around that to have it made for you? That's and, maybe and upwards. and upwards. That's maybe not taking all the silverware. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, but people do wear them also for things like weddings, yeah. confirmation, these sort of official days. Oddly, though, I clearly have no friends who get married because I think I've been to two weddings in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's not. Confirmation baptisms, yeah. Not uh, funerals. No, you don't wear them for funerals. Yeah. Anyway, okay, so what would it... A, a bunod would be good. Yeah. Um, I always find myself wondering, though, which, because every little region of Norway has their own variants. Not from the region, valley. Every little... Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. There's spot. there's many, many of them, so I'd have to do heaps of research. and then. Uh, but you can go to courses and learn to sew your own, but that would be only this local one, and that isn't what I'd really choose. The other option would be to have a suit made for myself. A really nice dark green suit. That is something I do have a hang Dark green. Yeah. Uh, I was watching this TV series um, with Kirsten Bell, the one where they're all dead and going to heaven. One of the guys in that has this green suit and he looks absolutely great. And I've never really wanted a suit before. I've never really had a suit. I do have some sort of three-piece tweeds, but not anything made for me. Uh, problem would be a problem of being short and stout is that nothing really fits you. Always arms short and legs short. No whatever. matter what size you are, you'll struggle to find stuff. This is my experience. I unless, mean, all people also complain because you have the proportions, the length of your legs, your yeah, torso. Yeah. There is a, are a certain number of people out there. It is rumored that are actually the industry standard size. 
and they must be living the life of Riley. Life of privilege they have not acknowledged. But a uh, dark green suit in a lovely wool fabric, I think that would do me. That would uh, would work for any occasion that requires a suit. Now, I've managed to pick up as many years as I have without requiring many suits, so I'm clearly not in a very suity place. Um, My work, when I did go to the office, very, very lax uh, clothing standards, as long as you were basically dressed, you're okay. Um, But uh, no suits in the workplace in Norway, unless you're working in finance or some other boring job. No offence, finance people, yeah. But, um, yeah, either a Bunod or a dark green suit. Yeah. Uh, Chris asks, your home has burst into flames. You get Erlin, Pixie and Rupert out of the house, and now you only have time to go and grab five pieces from your extensive collection. <laughs> what you grab... You know, I don't know if I'd really grab garments. Would you grab clothes? I don't know if I'd grab clothes at all. Uh, I mean, there are, for all the sort of love of the garments, there are more important things as well. I mean, there's photo albums, there's passports, there's... uh... (laughs) But if I was going to grab garments, I mean, there are... I mean, that to Mr. Freedom Mulholland uh, jacket is really nice, and I do have a couple more. But I don't know if I'd, I think I'd be, if the house was on fire, I don't think I'd have a sort of short list in my head about what would be the best uh, best payback to, uh, to nip in and get. Okay. Uh, that brings us on to the section that I've named classic fashion questions, which is already, yeah, I can, I can sense your feelings about that heading. Um, what would be the three hallmarks of a luxury clothing brand? Secondly, do you think the word luxury is a misnomer and that there should be a better word? This comes from Gary from English Utopia. Now, that is an interesting one because luxury as a concept has changed a lot over time. Luxury, as I understand it, used to mean something that was of a higher grade. Say if you had luxury shoes, they were they were somehow better than regular shoes. They were made by a craftsman. They were made by, made using better materials. They were made in a better way. They were in, in every way superior, which made them rare because a craftsman could only make so many pairs of shoes a year. There was only that much leather going round. Hence, the rarity and quality meant they could be higher priced. Hence, luxury goods were desirable because they just were better. Luxury nowadays. I don't get that same feeling because it has become so marketed and there's such an industry, there's so much money in it that if a so-called luxury brand makes 10 T-shirts, a sort of super limited edition, we've only made 10 of these with our logo on, and people go absolutely nuts to buy them and then they try, they're reselling them for triple the price. And that's not luxury. They're not actually made by a skilled craftsman. They're not made by from limited materials. There's no scarcity here. It's just a false, invented, manipulated scarcity. Hence, not luxury at all. Do we have real luxury today? I mean, we still have small craftsmen, small crafts companies. We have items that just can't be made in any greater quantities. But then you have, say, companies like Ferrari, which... I mean, Ferrari, yes, of course, a luxury car, but then they'll say, oh, but this new model, we're only making five of them. 
and suddenly that's a sort of scarce and desirable thing. But it's only scarce and desirable because they decided that they would only make five. So it's a con. Yeah. I also thought of a, a component to luxury baby being also objects would be so impractical for most people to have. I'm sort of thinking of like the history of luxury, sort of like royals would wearing some sort of little slippers of some sort of endangered species that are so fragile that, 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 that there's a yep, sort of... Yeah, scarcity, the endangered species. Yeah, but there's also could be like a sort of fragility of it. Wearing white clothes, for example, yeah. is a sort of luxury statement because it says like, I don't, I don't have to walk any dogs. I don't have to... Many, you know, there's a yeah. sort of placing yourself above somehow, you know. In the, in the spirit of total oversharing, I mean, for me, having custom-made shoes would have been a total luxury because I have one that's incredibly flat foot, yeah. uh, which means that one foot is half a size bigger and a bit wider than another. So when I buy shoes, there's always one of them fits perfectly, the other one doesn't quite fit perfectly. I might have to edit this out. This, this is terrible. This is not the image I like to portray of myself. Um, <laughs> So, so actually having shoes made to a custom last that actually is my foot, slightly different, would have been yeah. total luxury. And having that would necessarily be made by a craftsman. There are places in England that do this. I mean, you pay for the pleasure, hence luxury. Yeah. Also, having a jacket made to my exact side or having jeans made to my exact side. They're, for me, luxury items. Because also, it does mean an interaction with the craftsman, getting the sizing right, choosing the fabrics the options, getting things right. That's modern-day luxury. Buying a pair of limited-edition sneakers online because you're so lucky that you win the draw and you're allowed to buy them, that's not luxury. That's just garbage. That's marketing. But but the luxury of being able to uh, buy something that is not readily accessible, you know, being able to order shoes that actually fit you perfectly you know i mean there's i follow that there's a luxury to that mm -hmm. yeah uh and then there's glenn asking i'm also a watch enthusiast and i wondered if you wore or have many watches and if so which one would be your favorite i imagine it might be a vintage one now watches well, i have i think three watches I have an Apple Watch, which basically does more than I want it from a watch. I have a love-hate relationship with it. It does tell me when an email arrives, which I both like and don't like, because some days I just want to throw it through the wall because I want peace and quiet. But Presumably it, there's a setting for that, isn't it? Yeah, probably, yeah. But it's, um, it, an Apple Watch, I mean, it's a boring, non-watch guy reply. I do have an old... Omega, which my father gave me many, many years ago, and which he has regretted giving me ever since because I actually used it for many, many years. So it's looking pretty pretty worn now. I haven't worn it for a long while. I don't really get into the watch thing that much because it's a utility thing, but I am extremely turned off by the watch guy interest in it, which I find is just really another hype culture thing where there's so much talk about the rarity and the value, the buying and selling that I don't know if the, the appreciation of 
of the watch as a finely engineered device, which has an inherent design beauty, gets a little lost underway. Yeah. But really, it's that... It's more about the marketplace than the actual the, product. It's the bro collector thing that really turns me off. And as I mentioned with the luxury items, the Ferraris, limited editions and all this, you get the same thing with the watch companies where they're making limited editions, new versions. And I, I, was, I was listening to how you can go about buying a Rolex, how you can't go buy a Rolex. Well, there's a right way and a wrong way. You, to, you can't just go in, stroll into the shop and buy the Rolex you want. You have to sort of buy a cheaper one first and then another one. You have to sort of work up through oh. and you have to sort of buddy up to the authorised dealer and all this. And I'm thinking, really? Well, presumably <laughs> what would happen if you just walked into the dealer? Oh, because they don't want people buying the expensive ones because then they could resell them and try to get a profit. And it's just, ah, oh, that's just work. That's just complete. That sounds very exhausting, the whole it's, thing. It's just silly. Um, yeah, so you know, I have a, a little Timex I have thought I might start wearing a bit because it's quite a nice little design. Uh, but really not that interested in watches. Sorry. And then the second one, which is luggage. If packing for either, this is also Glenn, if packing for either a two to three day trip, what is your luggage preference? You know, that is a good question. And it's a, um, I have learned a lot about that. It's a lot easier to pack for a two to three day trip if you're not planning on taking photos of your outfits. Oh. <laughs> because that means a big suitcase. Because then you want the jacket and you have what, two, three jackets. You've got the various shoes, you've got trousers. and But really, if you just pack a few items that go together, so you've got two shirts and a pair of trousers and a pair of shoes, and you can just interchange a bit, you can wear remarkably few clothes for two to three days with no one commenting or it being an issue and really traveling light is a pleasure traveling with a suitcase full of crap which you then realize when you arrive home that you didn't use half of it it's just such a waste of time i think that glenn i might be reading into it when i started i talked about the louis vuitton luggage collection i think he's fishing for is there any suitcase or back carrying bag or you know are we talking here yeah yeah last night rolling Little I, thing, or, I, or do you roll out something fancy? I have to admit, when I see those um, fancy aluminium suitcases, I think, wow, those do look great. But then I also realize that they are really expensive and they also don't travel well because, in short order, they will be scuffed because the luggage handlers do not respect your luxury suitcases. So I have a uh, mid sized Samsonite. And a small Samsonite, which aren't super expensive, but they do travel well because they still look good after many a travel. And they're just fine. I wouldn't really want to spend big money on suitcases, and especially not in recent years when there's hardly been any traveling. It's just, yeah, can't wear it on a Saturday morning to town. But just because I'm curious, so if you are packing for two to three days, but you are taking photos, how what's the scale difference of these suitcases? How much scale are we talking about? One fits in an overhead compartment and one has to be checked in. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, here's one. Have you... I, I could just say that when I see Nick Worcester traveling for a two to three day event uh, somewhere and he shows off his suitcases, you'd think it was a family of five traveling away 
for two weeks. Okay, is this you digging it to Nick Worcester? To try no, to get no, I, I think Nick Worcester's a great guy. He is sponsored by some luggage company, but uh, he is also a cloud source of uh, serious uh, magnitude. Yes. Okay, so have you ordered something online and found it upon arrival to be something altogether else? Biggest letdowns, biggest surprises? Or anything that turns out to be doll's clothing, for example? Actually, I haven't, but I have had a couple of surprises recently that turned out well. Okay. Much to my um, surprise. Um, there's a company in Japan called Freewheelers who make this aviator's vest, which is a really cool 1930s uh, vest in a style that might have been worn by early adopters of aircraft. And there's another company called Bob Dong in China. I love the name. <laughs> totally ripped off the design, totally down to the last stitch. Now, oh. the freewheelers version was very expensive. The Bob Dong version was much less expensive. So I ordered the Bob Dong version and I was totally torn because it was a rip-off, a total rip-off. And I don't really want to support rip-offs, but the freewheelers was really expensive. And I, oh, I had to go many rounds with myself. But when the Bob Dog arrived, it was actually great, lovely. Pleasant surprise. He surprised. And I wore it. And I was, yep. Then I sold some stuff, had a bit more money. And I thought, hmm, okay, I'll, I'll sell the Bob Dog and I'll get the freewheelers. And I got the freewheelers. And that was actually less nice than the copy. Oh, <laughs> which was strange, but uh, there you go. Um, another thing, this, uh, there's an online buying and selling place called Grailed, and uh, there's a place in Hong Kong that suddenly had some items that were kind of rare, not badly priced, and I thought, hmm. So I had a little bit of money burning uh, hole in my pocket, and I ordered a, I have spoken about this for someone before, a Snow Peak uh, Tone Trout uh, fly fishing list and the guy swore that it was uh, it was all legit that he had it uh, but he couldn't show me any extra photos and oh, it was in his warehouse uh, but he couldn't send it for a few days because of covid in hong kong and alarm oh, bells I, were I, ringing I bad vibes here but i thought well you know i'll trust him so i paid for it and uh after a week or so i did get a ping on the tracking and uh I waited another week, another week, another week. I think it took about five weeks. And suddenly one morning I got up and there was a big parcel in my mailbox. And it actually turned out to be what I had ordered. <laughs> and in the meantime, this guy had had his account closed because probably because of fraud or something. Oh. And it was, I mean, every alarm bell was ringing, but he delivered. Yeah, I got it. It was, it was excellent. So that was a massive surprise. I love it. But no, I ordered stuff that hasn't been right now. I mean, sometimes you get something that is not as brilliant as you sort of had built it up to in your mind. I mean, I tend to get buyer's remorse the moment I've clicked buy, um, and it only gets worse over time. So <laughs> I have parcels arrive, which I hesitate to open because I'm so worried about what's going to be in it. Um, I re recall you years ago saying that you ordered stuff and then you forgot you'd ordered it. So it was a nice little present when it arrived. <laughs> Those days are gone with the increased electricity prices and everything going on. Yeah. Yeah. Now, a few questions here. Uh, for example, um, 
your nephew, my son, asks, do you have any surplus clothes to pass on to your nephew? Well, my nephews all seem to be quite um, small of stature, so uh, not at this point in time, yeah, I think. Being well, children, yes. And, uh, like adding. My sons do uh, do get some of the surplus, although they, they are now both taller and bigger than me and bigger feet, so more shame on them for growing so much. But, uh, I mean, that is part of the circular redistribution of stuff, that some things go to members of family, and uh, as long as it's being used, that is good. Yeah. And the same nephew also asks, do you recommend teens buying secondhand sneakers, such as Air Jordans? You mentioned to your beloved Nike sneakers, yeah, what should be when the I way a, to go for the teen? When I was a teen, yeah, I think there is something about the t- sort of sneaker hype hysteria that is incredibly unsustainable and unhealthy. Now, as I mentioned with the luxury items and so forth, I mean, this whole business about collecting limited editions, this is a, a, a sneaker scene. The market has become so driven by marketeers. I'm, I'm surprised that the teenagers who are generally so savvy on other things don't see it for what it is. I mean, just this business where they you have to apply to be a part of a lottery, to be allowed to maybe buy a pair which you will then maybe wear, or if you're clever, you'll then put them directly online and try to sell them for triple the price, if not more, because there's so many other people clamoring for them. And there's something incredibly wrong about it. In a in an age where we've seen crypto go up and fail and multi-level marketing everywhere. And I mean, how are people really buying into this? They're sneakers. They're not, they're just mostly cheap plastic shoes and the thing is i see adults as well getting crazy about oh there's new colorways and all this and uh, i think the sneaker companies are do absolutely brilliant marketing but that said i have absolutely no sympathy for adidas now stuck with was it a billion pounds worth of yeezy shoes they can't get shot of oh that's so sad for them yeah yeah uh, but should teenagers do this? Second second I mean, you can buy lots of really nice sneakers, new, that aren't used. I mean, they're, they're just, you can buy them in the shop and you can wear them until they're worn out. But is it a way of being sustainable yet fashionable in life phase? Whether you're getting them at a price according to their used status or whether it's a collector's price. Yeah, uh, Air Force Ones. I mean, they've been making them for forty years or something like that. I've no idea, really, but a long time. So, really so there's millions of them out there. Yeah. So some of them are more valuable than others. Um. I mean, if it's a pair of selling for half price because they've been worn three months, yeah, sure. As long as the person didn't have any sort of foot problems. Yeah. <laughs> There is, there is, there are sort of natural problems that can arise when buying used sneakers from other teenage boys. Yeah. 
Yeah, smelly feet syndrome yeah. or something like that. I don't know. I mean, why why would a young person buy secondhand sneakers? Because like they're cheap, I guess. Because they're cheap, then... and for, and it's you know it's the it's the thing where you're not able to buy what you want because it's out of your price range. Yeah, but that's uh, I mean, if they are used and priced accordingly, i.e., cheap, yes, by all means. Don't get caught up in the whole hype of everything. One of my sons did buy a pair of Yeezys some years ago, and. I said, as long as you put the books box on the shelf, yeah, sure, if you could buy them. He didn't. He wore them to pieces, I think, um, which was a hell of an expensive pair of sneakers to just use, use up. up. Yeah. Yes, I have already had a conversation where I refuse them to walk around with these plastic covers on the inside to make to avoid creasing the – yeah, I said, this cannot possibly be healthy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so – we're moving on to Vaughan's question here. Is you touched on something lately with your latest guest on Garmology, something I've been thinking about, which is the idea of being genuine and authentic. What does that mean as a manufacturer? And what does that mean as a consumer? We uh-huh. talked about the genuine stories, you know, speaking truths and not oh, being. Yes. I like this one. Um, being genuine and authentic for a maker. I mean, that is what every maker strives for. And those that aren't genuine and authentic spend a lot of resources wanting to seem like they are. You have some companies where they've been in business for, I mean, 200 years, some of them. Some of them even in the same factory. I could jokingly say still the same staff. But they just have that history because they have been making stuff for a long time. Um, I spoke to Ince Umbrellas a year ago, I think now. The guy's sixth generation making umbrellas in London. That is genuine and authentic. They've still got lots of the same machinery. It's the same family still going on. You've got William Lennon boots. They're still in the same factory. They've been there for over 100 years. A lot of the same machinery they're using. Still doing the genuine and authentic thing. Then you have other companies that get a little excited about selling more and keeping the prices down, a spreadsheet mania. So they start looking at uh, having other people make their stuff, preferably in a really low-cost country, maybe cutting down the quality of the fabrics and the bits and pieces and uh, start making a few more models without realising that a huge part of what made them what they were was that they were making quality goods in a certain way, certain models in their factory, and that was what people wanted. That was what people were willing to pay more for. That was what made it a desirable. That's what made it, say, Barber was made, that was what made it old money fashion because it was a concept. You bought that Barber, maybe you were given it when you were 18, and you wore it, you waxed it, and so forth, and it was a thing. And part of it was that it was made in South Shields. Now, I often pick on Barber because they're such a great example of a company that has totally failed in this respect. Yes, they're making money hand over fist, but no, they're not a respected company anymore. They make about 90 different jackets for men and the same for women. They used to make maybe half a dozen, and they were a standard. Now, made somewhere in the EU, mostly, or in one of six factories in England, if you're after one of the two models they still make there. 
Dr. Martens, similarly, a golden standard of shoes. Everyone wants a pair of gold Dr. Martens because they're the sort of counterculture shoe. They've always been super, super quality. And then the family sold the company to an investment company and they're making shoes in Vietnam, China, Bangladesh, wherever. Who makes them cheapest? And they're crap. They're not what they were. They're not genuine or authentic. They make some in England, which are, but they're, yeah. So being genuine and authentic is uh, is having a solid sort of, keeping a sort of through line through the product where what the consumer thinks you're selling is what they're actually buying or. A lot of these companies are still selling the idea that the consumers want. They're just not delivering it. So there's an element of lying there. I wouldn't use the L word, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a form of untruth. It's all yeah. part of spinning the story you think customers want to hear, which is, uh, I mean, you have all these companies today coming up with uh, with their backstories, which you realize are just really marketing. Um, I remember was it about three years ago, I saw a, a watch company and a um, spectacle company. They both had this story about their founders being on a beach in Asia somewhere and they'd met this guy on the beach who was such a cool guy who had so many stories to tell and so much wisdom to share that they were going to start their own company and they were going to call it after this guy they were going to name it after this guy one of them was Daniel Wellington but both these companies had the exact same script so you could tell that their marketing guys had been to the same crummy course on how to write backstories uh, the other company was a spectacle company I can't remember it was at the time they also had the, the guy who sang the Blurred Lines song and was caught up in this massive Me Too scandal. He Robin was the ambassador. <laughs> so, oh. Yeah. Somebody's following bad advice. Uh, but the, well, unless everybody met the same guy at the beach. Well, he had different names, but he, maybe, I mean, maybe, um, maybe he was just this cool advisor guy. Who somewhere went by on him. some beach in Goa, there's this incredibly inspiring muse. Yeah, he goes by different names, but, uh, you know... If you're starting a company, you hope to hook up with him because he's the, he's the dude. <laughs> uh, but complete garbage. And uh, But they think that the customers will buy into this. And, I mean, Daniel Wellington sold shitloads of watches. Uh, I was going to say shit watches, but, yeah, people bought into it. So, obviously, it does work, but it not in no way genuine and authentic. Now, for a personal style... I don't think that's as important, really. Uh, back to the cosplaying thing. I mean, you can be who you want to be. It's it's yourself. Um, if you want to dress up as Tweed Man, which I inadvertently in one episode say I cosplayed as Tweed Man, which I got a little bit of feedback on that teenagers thought that was incredibly cringy. Uh, it was the first idea that sprang to mind, I will say. Um, but if you want to be a biker dude or i mean that's down to you that's but fun. then it, yeah i mean this is of course like asking you to judge other people but would you judge other people if they let let's say they had a biker dude style but never they'd never sat on a motorbike they were making biker jackets biker boots i think we all judge people all the time at the same time is not really caring much i often say that we should only dress for ourselves because no one else cares but i do find myself on occasion thinking that yeah I'm being a bit judgy now, so reel it in. But, I mean, the Japanese do this super well. Uh, they All these Japanese subcultures, they take on a style and 
I mean, no one's going to judge you if you don't actually have a motorbike, but dress like a biker, you're part of a subculture. Um, and the kids now, well, TikTok fashion subculture thingies, I mean, life's a bit short to be criticising people. And I think it's a bit trite to say, but can't we all just get on and be nice and have fun? And Yeah, but I also think that there's an element of uh, joy being giving others, you know, something interesting to look at. That there's, you know, that that just walking down the street and seeing somebody who's actually made an effort at dressing in a way that's entertaining for other people is also something to appreciate, you know. Well, I mean... Instead of everybody looking the same. I, have a, I do relate to... Uh, there was something I was reading about in America some years ago about the stolen valour of people dressing up in army gear sort of hanging out in malls and sort of so people would think that they'd served their country and so forth. And uh, I can sort of relate to that being pretty shitty. And I think generally wearing a lot of army gear doesn't really ring very well. But uh, I think we do overthink our clothes a lot. So have a bit more fun with clothes, maybe. If you want to have fun with clothes, if you're not too fussy, don't. I, I mean, I, if you're on Instagram, you see a lot of people put way too much, much effort into it. On the other hand, I find it is a sort of a sort of masculine trope to say, I don't care about clothes. I just wear whatever's practical. And then I think, okay, fine. We'll take Harry Styles' latest wardrobe and we'll put it on you. If, 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 if you're so indifferent to what you wear, let's try to wear some, you know, Pattern silk shirts, you know, oh, and a bit of bell bottoms and a nice jaunty sort of uh, tasseled vest. And what, then let's see how relaxed you really are about your clothes. I think what men are really saying when they say they don't care about that is that as long as it's uh, an authentic uh, lumberjack uh, shirt over a loop wheel t shirt with a pair of red wings down under and uh, some heritage denim from Japan. They don't really care much about it, you know. <laughs> yeah, but there is something there that maybe sort of is implied that it is a bit dangerous as a man to be vain or care about your clothes. Or I think many see it as a very feminine trait to care about your looks, which I think comes, I mean, that's a huge topic. Why don't men wear makeup? Why do women wear makeup? But they do wear makeup. They just don't talk about wearing well, makeup. Men who have a very... Uh, arduous skincare regime. I do occasionally get asked, I mean, what do I do in the way of skincare? I'm surprised no one asked that. Yeah, okay, uh, so what do you do in the way of skincare? Uh, soap. Yeah, but that is like, what, some tallow, something, you know, you go and put some dish soap on your face? Whatever my wife has put next to the sink, and I do, you know, I'll confess now, I do like body shop body wash because oh. they make a lot of very fruity Satsuma. Mango. <laughs> I mean, when you're standing Posh in a nice, nice, nice shower in the morning, got some mango body wash, ah, that sets you right up for the day. Yeah. But are you going to roll out some serums or? Nope. People keep trying to send it to me, which I might take I'm as a hint. I'm just wondering if we maybe should roll out some serums sitting here. Uh, I have no faith in it. I mean, that's another industry which totally sells rubbish to gullible and willing consumers. Yeah, but there could also be something in it. 
that's what they hope you think. <laughs> so you're willing to pay all the big money for their little concoctions, their little potions and snake oil. I think uh, I, I'll just uh, let my skin get old. And, uh, as long as I can have my mango body wash, I'm, I'm good. What's that soup? Or even a cheeky banana. Okay, let's end you there before this takes a disturbing turn. Ilya asks, uh, if you were to start building your wardrobe from scratch, which lessons from the last 10 years would you apply? Well, I'd like to reiterate the 70% discount one. I, you want to consider stuff. Try it on. Don't spend all your time on forums reading what other people think. Uh, you need to find what works for you, what appeals to you. And rather buy one good item than several cheap ones. Buy secondhand. Always more value for money. But good secondhand. I see a lot of secondhand sites are chock a block full of other people's poor buys. So there's a lot of stuff that someone bought at a huge discount, found out, oh, God, this is rubbish, and then they try to resell it on a second-hand site, and it's sitting there for a long, long time. Um, building it from scratch, I mean, that is tricky because it does you don't overnight suddenly develop a huge insight into what you really like. So I'm hearing some lessons there going along the lines of go to a natural shop. I would have gone to a nice, good shop and tried things on, and I would buy something that I felt worked from that shop. I mean, my lesson has been, I mean, I bought loads of cheap stuff, which didn't work out. So, yes, I mean, take your time. Don't spend your money willy-nilly. And use some time and find find out what you really like, which might take a long time. I mean... It takes a bit of trying and failing, like a lot of things in, in life. Um, but I would say stay away from the forums. And, I mean, social media is not really something you want to engage too much in. But this is sort of tricky in this hair, I can hear, because is, on the one side, it's uh, you speaking with a lot of experience and done, having done a lot of research, and then saying, don't do the research. Uh, which is that don't go on the forums, get lots of recommendations and buy it. Make up your own mind. But And then there's... there's it's this. But now today, you were going to say, like, everything's burnt. You know, you didn't rescue anything. Uh, you, you, whatever you've got goes on your back. What what would you do? You know, you... No, I'd know. So what would you what do? Like? So I'd go to... There, 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 and I'd buy that and that and that. So what would that be? Well, that's super specific and just for me. But yeah. I'd buy, I'd buy a, a pair or two of companion denim jeans because they are the absolute best. Companion I'd, denim jeans, okay. Uh, I'd buy uh, a good tweed coat, say the Cording's Follyfoot. I'd buy some shirts from there, uh, maybe a first pack, maybe something else. But the styles, so forth... I just know what I like. So I know that I like Japanese denim with a heavy texture. You don't get that in Italian denim. Um, I know who makes things well. I know what to look for. The thing is to get away from 
everyone else telling you what you like, which is very much what social media and forums and so forth are. Because you're not thinking about what you like yourself. You're, you're following the flow. But I think it's easy to find out what you like if, you, like you say, you live somewhere where there is a nice shop because then you can actually try it on, you can see it. And, and you, you know, it's, you, you can have that, the, the fondly concrete experience that tells you immediately if this works or not. I mean, the hard part is sitting, you know, in... Suburban Norway. Suburban <laughs> Norway. Um, somewhere in, out in the provinces, uh, you know, yeah. where you don't know. You know, should I be investing in this? Should I not? Well, I'd like to interject that Ilya actually lives in London, so he is in he has that no spot. Horrible things. Hot yeah, that Ilya. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can go thrift shopping, charity shops. You can often stumble yeah. upon things there, which can lead you interesting ways. I mean, I've found some great stuff in uh, thrift and charity shops over the years, some of which I still have, I think. Uh, but it's a way of trying stuff. Um, How about always, making your own? You could make your own. And that is a very good learning experience for what goes into clothes uh, learning about fabrics, how things are made, what is quality. Um, Appreciation. I mean, if when, once you've learnt how a shirt, a good shirt is made, and then you're looking at not so good shirts, I mean, you immediately see that, hang on, this is rubbish. So, there, I mean, there's a lot to be learnt. It is a, it is a really big question, really. I mean, and, we're and talking about distilling sort of, experience as well. I'm sort of shortcutting a lot here and giving advice that sounds really quite odd is that I've just been through all that and it's a shame to see other people going the same way because, I mean, when I started all this, I had no idea at all. Um, so I've learned everything I've learned in the last, say, 12 years. And... Yeah. So the last final question is sort of what do you want to see for well-dressed dad going forward? What are your dreams and ambitions? That is another tricky one because the more I have learned about the garment industry, the more problematic I see it as and the more I see problems in the role as one of these little fish that swim around sharks, I suppose, that influencers and bloggers and social media people are. This is kind of a, a huge sort of answer to... Existential thing. It's... Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what's... What is my role in this machinery? And Yes. Yeah. And, and this is really blown up with um, the increased pressure on fast fashion... Uh, environmental issues, sustainability, and so forth in recent years. I mean, bloggers used to be really a sort of underground promotion of, of clothes. And I find it difficult to be a part of that unless I'm taking a role as a critical voice, uh, trying to direct people in a better way. And this is something I've been doing for years now. 
not engaging with brands and makers that I think are really scuzzy, for want of a better word, but trying to point people in a better way. And I'm not sure if I'm succeeding. I mean, I still love clothes. Um, I still think they are kind of trivial, hence why maybe I wouldn't pull them out of a burning house because at the end of the day, they're just clothes. They are... At the same time, being naked in Norway is not recommendable. Yeah, I'm sort of thinking that I wasn't completely without tweed on my portly figure when I was rushing out of the house with the dogs and my wife. Um, but I don't know. It's um, Will I manage another 10 years? I think probably not. Um, I think it is... I don't know. Same with the podcast. I mean, this, I've been doing that almost three years now. And while I do get some lovely feedback, it takes a hell of a lot of work to make. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's um, really gaining a lot of traction, whether it's uh, its sort of steadily growing, but it's um, not taking over the world. So maybe... But would you like to take over the world? If we were just going to take sort of a little moment doing this thing that they talk about on Instagram called manifesting. Manifesting. You know, I mean, if you were to manifest for a moment here. If someone, if I could make it my job, it would be much easier. Yeah. But as it is, there's no money to be made as an independent blogger and podcaster. It's an expense in time and money. So this is your hobby. A lot of people might not know that that this is, you know, not this is not your main occupation. This is not something that generates an income. For it's a hobby. It's a compulsion. It's uh, an expense. Um, it's something I can't put down because I've sunk too much into it. Project. And as long as there's interesting people to talk to, I'll probably keep going. Um, but it would have been a sort of manifest it, you know, to bring this up because you know. Yeah, this isn't your natural mode to be manifesting all the time. So just to force you to see ahead, it, it would have, it would have been a dream to be able to live, make a living of this. The problem in making a living of it is that most conventional ways to make a living off podcasting or blogging or being an influencer means being a uh, an underground, undercover advertiser, shilling for the brands, really being entirely dishonest a cog in the capitalist machinery yes yeah and and that's, that's i refuse that yeah that's against your value yes yeah so if but if there was a way of being you know supported in you know it may having enough for bread and bread and butter without selling out the old concept of selling out um then you that would have been something that would have been great. It would also have been great to have a, a little team around me. Yes. <laughs> so I could just be the talent and didn't have to do the booking, the editing, the, the boring stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All, all the time. Yeah. 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 So, um, would you like, to, do you see yourself doing other things as well? Clothes related? Would that be a dream to have a collaboration to be able to? I have done some design collaborations and uh, no doubt something more will happen. Um, but yes, I mean, that's interesting. I have plenty of ideas. I'm not a really skilled maker of clothes. Uh, whatever I make never comes out as nice as I had 
visions of it in my mind. But I mean, if I had someone who could make the stuff I envisioned, that would be brilliant because then it could actually be proper. So there's an opportunity there, I guess. Hmm. Making clothes and continuing maybe in a more professional setting or, yeah. But otherwise, I hope we're not, you know, I hope this isn't the end of the um, garmology. Are you having made any plans for further episodes? We don't want to leave people hanging here. In the bag and I've got another few few planned, yes. I'll probably take a little break for summer, but... uh, Yeah, so there's more episodes coming. I have averaged just under one episode a week for the past three years, which I think is pretty decent. That is a lot. I mean, that is very, you're taking care of your audience in a big way by supplying so frequently. Well, I do see when I publish a new episode that there are a number of people who do subscribe to it because there's immediately a large number of downloads. So people are obviously eagerly awaiting the next uh, <laughs> episode in the series. Click um, subscribe, people. Yeah. And leave a review. Yeah, reviews on Apple Podcast are, are great. But um, I mean, getting a, a podcast out in the world isn't easy. I was reading the other day about how podcasts are actually going down now. There's uh, less podcasts around. And, yeah, I mean, I'm completely dependent on my guests doing uh, some promotion, sharing it with their followers, with the listeners, sharing it, recommending it to friends. Uh, It is tricky. So listen and enjoy people and spread the word. Thank you for letting me host. You don't have any final questions or comments? No. I think this, uh... yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, well, thank you for having me. And uh, as I will say, bye-bye for now. <laughs> bye-bye for now. And that's all for this week's episode of Garmology. If you'd like to check out my guest further, there's links in the show notes. There's also links to uh, how you can uh, support the pod by buying me a cup of coffee. She's perfectly optional. I'm just pleased you're listening. If you'd like to get in touch, suggest a guest, just let me know what you think. It's uh, welldressedad at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram as welldressedad. So until next week, bye-bye.